أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. So um, welcome everybody to our second session of studying the life of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. The uh, objective again is to study the life of the Prophet and try to come up with some meanings that we can relate to and apply in our lives today in 2023. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I highly recommend it so that you can follow along. It's available on our podcast. Rayana can share the link with you. So um, one of the things that traditionally one should start with when you study the life of the Prophet is to study his description. What did he look like? Um, and what his characteristics were like. And this is called a shama'il, usually in our tradition. A shama'il. So we're going to be looking at, um, hopefully if the video works, I don't know if it's going to work or not. But before that, let's just recite Surah Al-Fatiha silently from the heart with the intention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, place his nur in our hearts and guide us in the session today, inshallah. try our luck and see if this thing works today okay so the sound is not there again oh. <clears throat> any idea why sound. Did you play? and in your computer it's p sound yeah. I'm in computer free sound. Yes. Is this on YouTube? Yeah, let's we try can YouTube. Find it from the Be uh, time consuming, yeah. Sound settings. Should work, no? I can put it from the device itself. Such? Yeah, Allah, okay, find the video. Try again, Haina. Let me try again. Nice. Best minute in the light, Lana. Mailish, it's okay. We will. Uh, We'll postpone this. I'm about to come ziada, but let's just move on. Shall I proceed? So this ayah also kind of sums up what we discussed last class: um, this importance of loving the Prophet ﷺ more than everything else in our lives. Um, in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa says, قُلْ إِنْ كَانَ آبَاؤُكُمْ وَأَبْنَاؤُكُمْ 
إخوانكم وأزواجكم وعشيرتكم وأموال اقترفتموها وتجارة تخشون كسادها ومساكن ترضونها If these eight If all these eight أحب إليكم من الله ورسوله وجهاد في سبيله فتربصوا حتى يأتي الله بأمره والله لا يهدي القوم الفاسقين Thank you for reminding me about this ayah so I thought I'd start with it it's a pretty heavy statement, heavy ayah, right? If your parents, your children, your siblings, your spouses, your extended family, the wealth you've accumulated, the trade you fear to be declining, and the, ha- and the homes you cherish, all these eight. It's pretty much, it sums up everything that we desire as human beings. Allah is telling us that if you place these on, a, on one side of the scale and you place Allah and the Prophet and struggle and striving in, in their path on the other, other side of the scale and you weigh these and if these worldly things outweigh love of Allah and the Prophet and, and striving in their path then there's, there's an issue <laughs> it's like Allah saying fine you just wait wait for uh, things to kind of uh, sort themselves out in a, in a way that we don't want. And Allah does not guide those who are rebellious. It's a pretty uh, harsh ending to the ayah. As if those people who are holding on to these worldly desires and worldly love, they're rebelling something. What are they rebelling? What do you think they're rebelling? Lish fasiqeen yani. They're rebelling their true, the true nature. Their soul actually does not incline to any of these things. Right? But nafs, the worldly, this, let's call it the low self, is inclined to these worldly things. Whereas the soul is inclined towards Allah and the Prophet. So there's this battle happening internally. And what's the battleground? It's the heart. The heart is the battleground and there's a... a constant battle going on between this low self which we call the nafs and the ruh or the soul which wants to love Allah and the Prophet and wants to strive and so each one of us is having that battle and it's constant work and the goal should be that we purify our hearts to the extent where khalas, the scale now tips to the other side and this world doesn't really weigh that much does this mean that we desert the world and we divorce the world and we leave everything behind and go live in the mountains no did the process of him do this not at all like he lived amongst the people he was extremely engaged but at the same time his heart was detached from all of this so it's a, it's a very uh, important reality check because without reaching this level, we will not be able to complete our iman. And one of the reasons of studying seerah is to increase this love in our hearts. That's the whole point, right? And another important point I wanted to mention was how celebrities in this world, they often, in their personal life, they hide. 
Why do celebrities hide their personal lives and all you see is the screen time? Why is it the case? Okay, they want privacy and peace. What else? Yeah, to avoid people judging them and often what's what's going on in their personal lives is this stuff that they want to be seen in public no. often no right uh, and we're talking about celebrities here people who have excelled in a specific area of their life whether it's i don't know acting or sports or entertainment or whatever it is we realize that these people who we look for look up to the people who are role models for many people uh, today often one aspect of their life is great but several other aspects of their, of their lives are a disaster and so for them even their agents advise them to maintain privacy and not to disclose other areas of their life because if they did disclose the other weaknesses what's going to happen to their business collapses can anyone think of like I mean, we don't want to do riba on celebrities, but um, like Tiger Woods comes to mind, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the greatest of all in the golf scene and then, you know, his personal life completely destroyed his entire career, right? And, and one story that got leaked and khalas, it's game over. Now compare that to the life of Prophet Muhammad it's extremely unique you will not find a single human being across history who will, will open his entire books to you and you will not find any flaws in his character he has nothing to hide I mean literally like from his wives to his companions to his daughter you have all people around him who lived around him talking about how perfect his character was, how beautiful he was as a person. And here we are in 2023 studying his life. I mean, he was born back in 571 AD. Who's good in math? How many years ago was that? One triple four al-ayam al-hijri. Yeah. But not 571 AD. So... Uh, not Hijri. So, 2023 minus 571. Just pull out your calculator. Yeah, 1400. Okay. Here we are today, studying his life, studying how perfect he is in every aspect. So it's pretty amazing. You will not find any any human being on this level, where they've excelled in every single area of their life. It's pretty unique, isn't it? So. And then another interesting thing in Surah An-Nisa is that notice it's highlighted. وَلَوْ أَنَّهُمْ إِذْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ جَاءُوكَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا اللَّهَ وَاسْتَغْفَرَ لَهُمْ الرَّسُولِ لَوَجَدُوا اللَّهَ تَوَّابًا رَحِيمًا So we're also learning that part of our relationship with them is a living relationship. Yani, uh, we talked about this in salawat last time, if you remember, right? When you do salawat, what are the benefits? 
Allah yusalli alayna and yukhrijna min al-zulumat ila nur Times 10, right? So, when you think of the Prophet and don't think of him as, someone, uh, as a human being who died and his, he's just a personality in history that we're studying and it's just a biography. La, part of the intention here is to realize that our relationship with him is a living relationship. It's a living relationship. Remember the ayah, وَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ فِيكُمْ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ And know that the Prophet is amongst you. He is a part of you. And so here we're learning in the ayah is that when we make istighfar, the Prophet is also doing istighfar for us. That's part of also salawat in a way, right? Because salah is a dua. And when we say salah and we send peace and blessings to the Prophet what does he do? He returns the salam. He returns the dua. So it's an exchange that's happening in a different dimension. It's not physical, of course. But in the spiritual dimension, this is actually happening. And that's part of our faith. It's part of our blind faith. And then we also... Part of the recap here is to realize how merciful he was as a prophet. If, if it, there was one title for him, it would be a mercy for all of humanity. But Allah tells us in this ayah in Al-Imran, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ It is only from the mercy of Allah that you were layin with them. What is layin, yani? Soft, gentle. And Allah says, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ if you were harsh in your attitude, if you were tough on them, min these sahaba, these companions would have dispersed. They would have run away from you. They would want to have nothing to do with you. And so we're learning here how the terbiyah of Allah for the Prophet was very special. Right? Very, very special. He was extremely soft. And you compare that to like our, our times now, right? How are we with our children? How are we with our parents? If you're a boss, how are you with your employees? How are you with your housemates? How are you with the driver? How are you with the, the talabat driver who delivers your food? You know, are you fadlan غليظ al-qalb? Or are you someone who is layin, like the Prophet Because that's really who he was, extremely, extremely gentle. How are you on the road, but like traffic? <laughs> so, yani, studying Sira, guys, like this is a journey for all of us, including myself, to remind ourselves that we're not just here for an academic exercise, right? We're here, we listen, and we try to apply. We, we want a transformation to occur in our hearts. And that's what the seerah does, actually. It actually will transform you, inshallah. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ And we have not sent you, but a mercy for العالمين. All of humanity. All of all of the worlds, alameen is actually like jam' of alam, right? A world. All the worlds. There's alam al-jinn. The Prophet ﷺ was rahmah for alam al-jinn as well. 
which we can't even see and comprehend. And there's an entire surah called Surah Al-Jinn. قُلْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ أَنَّهُ اسْتَمَعَ نَفَرٌ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ فَقَالُوا إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا قُرْآنًا عَجَبًا يَهْدِي إِلَى الرُّشْدِ فَآمَنَّا بِهِ وَلَنْ نُشْرِكَ بِرَبِّنَا أَحَدًا It's such a beautiful surah. Literally, نَفَرٌ مِّنَ الْجِنِّ A group of jinn listening to the Qur'an pay attention to it and realize that these are amazing words. These can't be the words of a man. And they start listening and understanding the message and they become Muslim. So he was sent as a rahmah even for the jinn, even for the animals, even for the plants. In one narration, the Prophet ﷺ is giving a khutbah regularly, khutbah meaning a sermon, Friday sermon, yeah, leaning against the trunk of a tree. Maybe some of you have heard the story. So it was his habit to lean on this tree trunk while he's giving the khutbah. And as the Muslims started uh, expanding in numbers, one of the companions had a suggestion to make to the Prophet ﷺ. And this was very common, by the way. The Prophet ﷺ was very accommodating of suggestions. Like, you know, today, a lot of leaders, they don't like suggestions. They like you to just do what they say and it's their way or the highway. Prophet was like, fine, you have a suggestion? Sure, what is it? But the Sahabi said, Ya Rasulullah, you, your numbers are growing and you're still standing next to the street trunk. How about we build you an upper kind of uh, elevated uh, place for you to stand on so that all of the audience can hear you and see you. Pretty much what our um, Friday prayer... Um, she Samuna? Al-Minbar, eh, Al-Minbar, eh, Shigalt? Mantle. Mantle. Al-Minbar, it's elevated, right? Why? For this purpose. Does that sound like a good idea or no? Yeah. Yeah. And and so the Prophet was very, very logical and he's like, yeah, sure. Let me get permission from Allah to build a Minbar or not. No, it makes sense. It's for the benefit of humanity. Let's do it. But they built the thing and then the Friday came where now he had to start preaching from the top of the mimbar. And as he's preaching, they hear, and the Sahaba have narrated this, guys, more than one Sahabi. So this actually happened. They start hearing as if a baby is crying. They, they start hearing the sounds of crying. And so they pay attention and they actually realize that the tree trunk is crying. And so the Prophet ﷺ, stops his khutbah, steps down the mimbar and approaches the tree trunk and gently rubs it. And, it's, and he speaks to the tree trunk and he tells it that, listen, I know that you miss me. I know that you miss the fact that I'm leaning onto you. But I promise you, you will be with me and near me on the day of judgment fil akhirah fil jannah so yani, it sounds like a fairy tale or sounds like some kind of hocus pocus stuff right but this actually happened yeah yeah especially our kids we tell them these stories and they're like really baba are you sure <laughs> what have you been smoking today <laughs> this is it I mean 
a tree trunk was so much in love with the Prophet and this is the intensity of the love. Um, the Prophet came from, like we discussed last time, a very, very pure lineage. From very, very pure lineage. And Allah designed it that way, right? This was part of the tadbir of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By the way, in one narration, awwal ma khalaq Allah nuru Muhammad The first of Allah's creation was the light of Muhammad Before all of creation. And so everything was designed and prepared for his arrival. Who he was going to be born into, which family, who his father is going to be. And we're going to study that today. Like his, his grandparents, Hashim, Abdul Muttalib, Abdullah, the mother. Like, and you realize how it was such a grand plan. You know, how perfect it was. And so, first of all, we realize that he's from a tribe called Quraysh. Which is from the lineage of Ismail, which is from the lineage of Ibrahim. So from the beginning, we realize that there was a hikmah in all of this because Ibrahim was Abu al-Anbiya his title is known as you know the father of all prophets but is he a unifying factor in religion absolutely right similarly Ismail one of his key roles was to unite the Arabs because they were very separated tribes you know every tribe fighting with one another so one of his key roles as a prophet was to unite the Arabs and similarly, one of the Prophet's great 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 grandfathers, his name was Qusay. He actually united, his, his role was uniting all the Arabs. So he comes from a lineage, all of which were interested in unity and not separation, which is another beautiful lesson for us. And, uh, today, what, has, what have we become? We have become sects and, and segments and divisions and and that separation has caused what? Enmity, war, hatred, jealousy, competition, weakness. Separation is weakness, absolutely. And this is this was always a strategy of Fir'aun actually. Like the word for uh, separated people is called Shi'an. The Fir'aun, that's exactly what he did. وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا شِيَعًا In Egypt. When he separated the people and made them weak. So the Prophet one of his objectives, one of his missions was to unite. And there's rahmah in unity. There's rahmah in connection. Like that's why Salatul Rahm. Salatul Rahm? Connection of ties, right? Kinship and ties. Why did Allah call it Salatul Rahm? It's literally like the womb. Rahm is the womb of a mother. And that's where the child is born into in a, in a very safe environment. But the Rahm is also a place where the child is actually connected and part of the mother. So that is that is rahmah, just like Allah subhanahu wa taala is ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. His prophet, his final prophet, his chosen one had to be rahmatan lil-'alamin. There's, يعني, 
it's pretty obvious, right? That's the way. Rahma is the only way. Compassion and mercy is the only way. And it's interesting that his mother, like from her father's side, she was from Mecca, and from the mother's side, she was from uh, Medina. Is that a coincidence? No, of course not. Because the Prophet would, later on in his seerah, he would migrate to Medina and he would visit his uncles and families in Medina. So there was... Allah, this is part of Allah's plan. Which mother would be suitable for the Prophet And they say that Because what we will learn today that part of the qualities of, of the Jahiliyyah what does Jahiliyyah mean? Mm. Ignorance. Jahil literally means ignorance. And so they say when Islam came, khalas, people had ilm, they had knowledge. Prior to Islam, there was Jahil, there was ignorance. And so it was very common for intercourse and you know, pregnancies and multiple relations to happen. You know, abath. They call that sifah, sifah al-jahiliyyah. And so a woman would be sleeping with like 20 other men and when she would get pregnant, they wouldn't know who the father is and يعني, كلام, you know, like it was just... So the Prophet his entire lineage was very pure. There was, he was born out of nikah. So every one of his parents and grandparents and grand-grand-grandparents, they were all officially married the right way and... There was no um, impurity in that lineage. It was a very pure, pure lineage. And going back to Hashim, so yani, how far is Hashim now when it comes to... So Muhammad, let's, rev- let's review his name, not the full name, just like... We know he's from Banu Ismail, but Muhammad ibn... Shisim Abu? Abdullah. Abdullah. Repeat after me. Muhammad ibn... Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim I, I don't want you to go further Just four generations is enough Repeat Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim Very good So Hashim is his great 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 grandfather صح? I think yeah. So his name was Amr But he was He adopted the name Hashim Because Kana Yahshim al-Khubz he was known to be very generous and there, there came a time where there was famine and uh, يعني, uh, difficult times in Mecca and he was the one who decided to make thirid for the people and he was known to be very very generous. Uh, Arabs in general are known to be very generous. And we'll study this later. Arabs had a lot of bad qualities but they had a lot of good, a lot of good qualities. And so one of their qualities were, was generosity. So Hashem, when you think of Hashem, think of generosity. He was married to a wife. Uh, her name was Yathrib. Who knows what yath, uh, Yathrib means in the Quran? It comes as a word. What does it mean? It was actually the name of Medina prior to the Prophet's Hijrah. Medina's name was Yathrib. And it's, it actually has a negative meaning. It means from fasad. Right? And so the Prophet changed Medina's name from Yathrib to Al-Madina Al-Munawwara. 
uh, it is also has it has other names like Taiba and Taba also right so Yathrib before that yeah and Allah refers to that in the Quran in, in a place or two referring to the Jahiliya times of, of uh, Medina so his name was Amr and like we said he's, he was the leader of Quraysh um, he was also extremely wealthy because he used to manage the trade and um, we'll talk about the trade inshallah in the, in the coming slide so I don't want to give, uh, give away too much so they give birth to Shaybat al-Hamd his name was okay which and this this child is later going to be named you know Abdul Muttalib okay we're, we're going to يعني, inshallah look at that in a second so his, his wife's name was Yathrib and she gave birth to him and uh, Hashim died very very soon after that so Ab Shaybat al-Hamd was born an orphan similar to the Prophet sallam and then um, his uncle visited, visited the mother and told her that she should send the son with the uncle to, to Mecca because it was a great place for him to kind of learn and develop his skills. And so he ended up, in, uh, ended up going to Mecca. Hashem passed away in Palestine. Anyone here familiar with Palestine? Yeah, so have you heard of Ghazat Hashem, the term? That's, that's, yeah, it's known as Ghazat Hashem. Ask your, uh, your, yeah, ask your parents and uncles. They would know. So he, he was buried there. And uh, Al-Muttalib, his uncle Al-Muttalib adopted him, basically, and took him with him to Mecca. And then when they entered Mecca, the people of Mecca saw this young boy with Al-Muttalib and so they thought they assumed that he was a Abd literally a slave because back then slavery was allowed right and it was very common for you to go and just pretty much go to the market and buy a slave so they thought that this was so they were but they were traveling around okay. uh, they came back to Mecca and that's where he adopted or that's where he was given the name Abdul Muttalib okay but his true name was so Abdul Muttalib later on becomes Sayyid Quraysh. He um, dreams over and over again of the well of Zamzam being uh, restored because Tadrun Qassat Zamzam, from Ibrahim salam's time, uh, when Hajar was uh, pretty much looking for water, Safa al Marwa seven times, desperate for water, and then Jibreel comes. And with his wing, he makes uh, a hole in the, in the earth and then the zamzam, uh, water starts flowing out and the baby Ismail is saved from basically dying from thirst. So as the years passed by, the swell was, was dried up and Abdul Muttalib sees multiple dreams of the zamzam being revived. And so he proposes to Quraysh to uh, rebuild the swell and يعني, to activate it again. But Abdul Muttalib, or sorry, um, yes, Abdul Muttalib has only one son. And back then, when you didn't have many sons, you were considered weak. So you don't have much backing. And so Quraysh reject the plan. And so Abdul Muttalib makes a nether to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who knows what a nether is? So 
Exactly, yeah. So he, the nether was a pretty uh, heavy nether. He says that, Oh, ya, ya Allah, if you give me ten sons, I promise to you that I will sacrifice one of them for you. It was a way of giving back to Allah. In sacrifice, eh, back then. Eh, again, good point. So all of the, all of the lineage of the Prophet pretty much they were يعني, muhidun, you know, they didn't commit shirk as such, especially his own lineage. يعني, notice the Prophet's father's name. What is it? Abdullah. Isn't that interesting? This is prior to Islam. Because again, they had some um, some teachings of Ibrahim السلام, right? Given that Ibrahim السلام, was the builder of the Kaaba with Ismail and the teachings of Ismail. So some of the very small minority of Arabs were muwahidun ala deen Ibrahim al-Hanifiyya Okay? And so they didn't commit the shirk and all that kind of stuff. And we'll talk about real shirk, inshallah, before we end today. A lot of us think the shirk was the asnam and you know the 360 idols on the Kaaba, but it's it's deeper than that. So anyway, he he wants ten sons. Why? So that he, he can become more influential, and the more influential he can become, he can convince Quraysh to actually uh, build this zamzam and, and restore the zamzam well. So lo and behold, the years pass by, and how many sons does he get? Ten. And as as the the children grow, his favorite son. Is Abdullah out of all of them? He loves them. He loves يعني, him more than all the other sons. And uh, apparently, he's extremely good looking, extremely amazing qualities. All the girls want to kind of get married to him. And you know, he's like the heartthrob of the city, Abdullah. We're talking about Abdullah here. And um, so, when, uh, yeah, when he has now 10 sons, he goes to Quraysh and finally he's able to convince Quraysh to build, uh, to restore the Zamzam well. And when he does that now, what does he have to do? Now he has to fulfill the promise, the nadr. And so back then they used to use something called Al-Azlam. This is mentioned in the Quran, Al-Azlam. It's one of the things that are categorized as impure. So Al-Khamr, Al-Maysir, Al-Ansab and Al-Azlam are rijsun min amal al-shaytan fajtanibuh. Allah says. Okay, impure things that are from the works of the devil. So stay away. Stay away from it. Don't even go near it. Okay. What are the four things? Al-Khamr, all, all sorts of intoxicants. Not just alcohol, but all sorts of anything that uh, makes you kind of, you know. Eh? Um, Al-Maysir, which is gambling. Al-Ansab. Ansab is uh, altars that they used to do, to do sacrifices on for the, for the sake of Allah. It became haram later on. And then Al-Azlam is what we're referring to here. Azlam is kind of like, remember truth or dare? Like you spin the bottle, but back then it was arrows and it would point to one of three uh, Directions. One would be yes, do it. The other one would be no, don't do it. And the third would be neutral. And so, yeah, and they would use it for um, 
just like we use istikhara now back then if they were indecisive about something they would do they would use azlam should i marry that person okay let's spin the azlam and if it's yes done no no or repeat you know so anyway they did the Islam thing for the sons who, who would be sacrificed and guess whose name came up? Abdullah. So you see a common repetition of this pattern? Who else went through this similar kind of experience? Yes, yeah, so Yunus alayhi salam when, when uh, they had to decide who was going to be thrown off the ship, right? But also Ibrahim alayhi salam because he saw in a dream that he had to slaughter his son and you know he consult the son and the son says yeah sure let's go do it yeah. the, the sons all of them re repeat exactly what Ismail said when he the father told the sons listen sons one of you is going to be slaughtered we're going to have to do this Islam thing all of the sons said ya abatif alma tu'mar exactly what Ismail said to his father oh our dear father do as you have been commanded. But uh, in this case, he was uh, the father was not commanded to do anything. It was just fulfilling a promise, as such. And so Abdullah's name came up, and everything is prepared. He's about to sacrifice. The people of Quraysh, in the last second, interfere and they say, "We can't let this happen. You are from such an honorable family. Uh, let's figure out a, an alternative. Let's figure out a loophole in this whole thing." You know, so they go and consult uh, um, a kind of like a priest, a female priest who had some gin business going on. So they go to her and she says, uh, fine, let me come up with a solution. Give me a few days. And she comes up with a solution. She says that, yani, how much money do you pay for a dia? Who knows what a dia is? Dia. So when you accidentally kill a person, you're supposed to give a diya to the family, right? Uh, it's kind of like a compensation, kafara, yani. Money, blood money, exactly, blood money, yeah. Fa, um, she asked them, what is a typical diya amount that you give when you accidentally kill someone? They said 10 camels. So she said that, um, repeat the Islam thing, and for every time Abdullah's name comes, you give a dia out and repeat and you give the dia out and you repeat and you give the dia out until Abdullah's name doesn't come and then everything will be cleared and you don't have to do the sacrifice. So anyway, they do this exercise and then literally they go, this, Abdullah's name comes up 10 times. For how many camels do they have to give away? 100, 10 times 10. That's a lot of money back then. But anyway, that's how they figured their way out and uh, the slaughtering thing didn't happen. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ says in one hadith, I'm the son of the two slaughtered ones. I mean, it's not, don't take it literally, but the two ones who are going to be slaughtered. Who is he referring to? Now you know this, right? Ibrahim alayhi salam, because he's the son of Ibrahim alayhi salam from like the same lineage. And who else? Abdullah, Abdullah exactly. Ibrahim. Sorry, Ismail alayhi salam and Abdullah, yes. Ismail alayhi salam and Abdullah. 
it's good please you need to sit here in every class <laughs> huh, to correct me yeah. um, it's important to correct me if I'm wrong in something so are you guys following let's let's switch into second gear now the world before Muhammad what did it look like how was it so, um, like we said, he was born in 571 AD, that's 6th century, okay? Now, six, during that time, there were two great empires. Who knows what those empires were? No. Peran was much, much earlier. The Romans, yes, and? Persia, exactly. So, the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. And in fact... The Roman Empire, there's an entire surah after their name. Who knows which surah in the Quran? One of the chapters talks about the Romans. It's called Surah Al-Rum. Exactly, literally, the Rome, the Romans. <laughs> um, they had a very, very significant role to play during that time of, of history. Roman Empire and Persian Empire. Uh, of course, the Romans were known to be colonizers. Uh, a lot of injustice was happening in the world on their hands. There's ex extensive taxation, a lot of divide between the rich and the poor, a lot of discrimination between different sects and color and based on your income level and your religion. This sounds like a word today. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> sounds like, you know, the... Uh, the, the matrix that we're living in, right? So a lot of extravagance also from uh, on, the, on behalf of the, the rich, the ultra-rich, engrossed in shahawat, drinking, womanizing, and uh, all sorts of like extravagant lifestyles. Uh, like for fun, I'm sure you've seen The Gladiator, right? Yeah. Like they would literally, like for entertainment, look at a, a human being fight an, a lion and, and enjoy him being cut into pieces. Yeah for entertainment purposes. Um, what was that series near, near recently on, on, I think it was on Netflix, where they, they watch entertainment of people dying and stuff. What was it called? Uh, Squid Game? Squid Game, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, kind of like that, in a way. I think a good, a good example of the world before yeah. is, uh, although I don't recommend you watch it because it's so... Uh, explicit this, uh, the HBO show Rome okay it, it really shows يعني, the dec يعني, exactly what you're describing mm. يعني, mm -hmm. a prime example of yes. a world without Islam yes exactly so that's that's the Romans in terms of Persia the it was slightly different there but also similar in the sense that there was control for, from the top hierarchy and they had three a three class system you had the rulers you had the priests and then you had the the peasants or the poor poor public and um, there were no no human values whatsoever europe had lost its values completely no direction no values a lot of ignorance and jahala um, there was female oppression, females were oppressed, they were viewed as commodities, um, no right to inheritance whatsoever, they were debating whether she can own anything or not, there was no limit to how many women you can get married to, um, and you have to understand this, right? 
يعني nations rise and fall civilizations rise and fall throughout history صح ولا لا and one of the sunan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sunan means from sunnah like one of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that nations that lose their values especially when it comes to justice and truth eventually they fall and so this was the period of they call it the dark ages literally in, in, in Europe um, but they don't talk about why right they don't talk about why they were they were the dark ages but really that yani, the value structure of a society determines the fate of the nation and the people now I love this chart because it shows you how um, history is like yani, the way it's taught to us it's so like misleading and missing something extremely important which is the like just if you look at the fifth and seventh between the fifth and the seventh century notice how the Romans were leading right the Persians and the Romans after that notice this big gray area here this was they call it the dark ages of northern Europe who can notice something interesting that happened compared to like like just an interesting trend that you see just from the chart in terms of dates I shared with you an important date earlier the longest period. it's a very long period you're talking about nearly a, a millennia right thousand years of dark ages what else think about timing by the way the yellow the yellow chart here represents the Muslim golden era of Islam there was a golden age of Islam interesting question right of course because of the education system it's, it's all part of the whole uh, system right but anyway just as the dark ages were happening in Europe there was a yani, an outburst of scientific discoveries and innovation and all sorts of um, arts and education and knowledge being spread throughout the world on behalf of the Muslims and this was called the golden age of Islam but what's remarkable is the timing of the birth of the Prophet So wh when was he born? 571 AD, right? So around 6th century. When was he born? Look at the timing, Yani. Just as the Muslims uh, start their like growth, right before that, for about 20 30 years before that he was born and then that's the legacy that continued after his uh, death he planted the seeds the sahaba and the sahaba passed it on to the tabi'in what's the definition of a sahabi it's very important for us to to understand that what's the definition of a sahabi there's two criterias one any guesses 
Sahib Rasul, yeah, so you, you must have been living in his time and you must have been seen, you must have seen him with your own naked eyes. And the other, other criteria? Yeah, to accept his message, right? Um, so had you seen him and accepted his message, you khalas, mabruk, you have the title of Sahabiya or Sahabi. Okay? And Tabi'i, what's the definition of a Tabi'i? Yeah, but what's the condition? And there's two criteria. They must have seen who? Very good. They must have seen a Sahabi. So that's where you get the title of a Tabi'i. So the Prophet ﷺ was born pretty much somewhere here, right? Sixth century. Right when the Dark Ages were happening in Europe and the Muslims were just on a rise. But then what happened here? The Muslims also lost their kind of focus, right? And they, they started going into extravagance, and you know, like... Dunya khadatum again cycles, right? Yes, the the al exactly destroyed the the Baghdad libraries. Baghdad was known as the center of knowledge in the world, and people used to come from all over the world to study and to learn and to exchange ideas. And um, universities were built back then. But yeah, the 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 Maghul, they destroyed the libraries and then. Of course, يعني, the, the Muslim Khilafah was, who knows when it came to an end, the Ottoman Empire, the last of the Khilafahs of the Muslimin. Right after World War I. Uh, يعني, it's, it's pretty much related to World War I and يعني, right after that, there was a collapse of the Muslim uh, Khilafah. But this period is called the Abbasi Khilafah. They were really behind all of this, you know. Before then, Muslims were f like fighting for rule and stuff during the Umayyad Khilafah. But the Abbasids did a wonderful job here. So the Prophet is born and the Muslims are uplifting all of humanity. Nas min Europe like where do we send our kids to study? Europe or America, right? Back then they would study, uh, send them to like Spain and Andalus and, and Baghdad to learn because those were the center of knowledge for the world. It's completely the opposite. Okay, and this actually happened in history. Um, if you want to learn more about this, just look up 1001 Inventions. It's a great initiative. It's a project to revive these, uh, these meanings and these uh, moments of history uh, as uh, we really haven't really studied much of them. But another video where the, the, uh, the sound won't work, but inshallah we'll fix it next time. Inshallah. Some of the inventions of Muslims. Surgery, coffee, uh, the university algebra from Jabr bin Hayyan, by the way, Al-Jabr. Optics, music, the toothbrush, the hospital, surgical instruments, clocks, camera. Pretty amazing, huh? Vaccination. Ibn Sina founded vaccination. And even, by the way, also um, quarantine, the 40-day quarantining.
So just just to name a few. You didn't finish. <laughs> so why why am I why am I sharing this just to show you? And the 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 Prophet mission was um, not just limited to like getting people to start praying and not worshiping idols and wearing hijab and you know what I mean. Like yes, that's part of it. The Sharia is part of it. The, the pure heart is part of it. But the bigger part of that was, okay, now that you have a sound heart, now that you know what your purpose is, yalla, you are a khalifa of Allah on earth. What are you going to do with all this? How are you going to make this world a better place? How are you going to fix the problems of humanity? How are you going to spread peace? How are you going to spread knowledge? How are we going to help awaken humanity? How can you become a positive impact in the world? So these are the real fruits of Islam. Best the foundation has to be built on the basics. 23 years of great foundation. 13 years in Mecca. 10 years in Medina and then خلاص, the Prophet passed away Sahaba continued and then many many years down the road they saw the fruits and then they lost track of everything again but for us here in 2023 what what can we kind of um, what can we learn from this chart and what, what should our kind of uh, Goal be or mission be. Create a new renaissance. Kind of like yani. And it starts off with your heart, by the way. Because a lot of people try to do the shortcut, right? And they try to get into politics and political Islam and try to, you know, overthrow government to Marashino, the and get into all sorts of lack of patience kind of things, which is of course uh, ignorance. Islam has nothing to do with uh, using force to change. It has nothing to do with violence. It has nothing to do with terrorism. It has nothing to do with using religion to manipulate people and to, to get into politics. Nothing to do with that. So the revolution happens in your heart. The revolution is against your nafs. And the Sahaba used to say this, right? They used to say that when they, whenever they used to go out and fight in the battlefield, they would, and they would be coming back to their homes, they would say, رَجَعْنَا مِنَ الْجِهَادِ الْأَصْغَرِ إِلَى الْجِهَادِ الْأَكْبَرِ we have, We're returning from the, the minor jihad to the major jihad. What are they referring to? Yeah. The struggle against your own desires and your own nafs and your own ego. So that's where it begins. And then it's your family. And that's it. Wallahi, not more than that. If every single one of us worked on our hearts and our families, I think that's a job well done. And Allah says, Ya amanu qu anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. That's it. Save yourself and your families. 
And then inshallah the next generations we might see another golden age inshallah why not right it will come i mean we have a hadith to to um, give us the good news that khilafa ala minhaj an-nubwa will come the only issue is lack of patience many people have lack of patience right and so they they try to like force it in yeah, it doesn't happen like that it might take generations for that to happen but now we're not in no rush is Allah interested in results or in our momentum and our intention? Yeah, intention and amal. That's, that's all that's required. Yeah. But no need to get overzealous and passionate and like start getting angry at the world and start trying to change by force and using like... No, no, that's shaitan's trick. Al-ajala min shaitan Right? The way of the the true the way of haq is always gradual. Just like the sun takes its time to rise and set, just like the moon takes its time to go through the phases during the month, just like the tree takes its time to grow and for the fruits to come out, it takes time. But it has to be built on a on a good foundation. So 23 years of struggle. By the way, in the ayah that we quoted in the beginning, the eight things compared to love of Allah and the Prophet and jihad fi sabilihi. What does jihad in fi sabilihi mean? Yes. So don't, don't think of it in a narrow way that jihad fi sabilillah means fighting on the path of Allah. That is one of its meanings that are applicable at, in the right context, in the right timing. But the bigger meaning there is striving. Jihad from juhd. Juhd means what? Effort. Putting an effort in Allah's path. Fi sabilillah. And it could be anything. I mean, if you, like you coming here today, wasn't that like a struggle in a way? to like kind of adjust your schedule and cancel some things give up family time maybe give up time with your spouse or your kids or give up some Netflix time or <laughs> some coffee or whatever there must have been some cost that you've paid to come here yes or no and so that is a, that is a form of struggle fi sabilillah you've come here for Allah I have no doubt about it right Maybe the food also, but and <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a simple things like this. If you go to the gym with the niyyah that Allah in Allaha, يحب المؤمن القوي. المؤمن القوي أحب إلى الله من المؤمن الضعيف. If that's your intention, مبروك. That's jihad fi sabil Allah. If you're studying. To gain knowledge, because Allah said, Iqra' to you. And Allah يعني, wants us to be people of knowledge and not people of ignorance. Then that's, you're going to study and school and college or getting a degree or a qualification. That's your jihad, it's a struggle. But what I'm trying to highlight here is the word struggle. Because we live in, like, in the age of like, excessive comfort, especially in this part of the world, right? And we seek it. We seek more and more comfort. 
and like technology isn't helping us right it's just making it even more and more easier now and you can literally sit at home and order whatever you want get whatever you want shop whatever you want watch whatever you want some of these comforts are from fadlullah they're from the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you need to be grateful for them but do you agree that sometimes we can get stuck in a comfort in our own like false comfort zone you agree yes. yeah. mm. and it paralyzes you gets you stuck you lose motivation you, le- you lose energy and you you know and, and when people have that void in their life then you fill that void with what negative things right time wasters and just negative people and negative habits and so make let's make an intention right here right now that we're all born with a mission guys like yani we are khulafa Allah on earth and I'm pretty sure all of us here are born Muslims that, that is a privilege but it comes with what a very very heavy responsibility don't think now oh, I was born a Muslim خلاص, I'm lucky we have a role to play here and look at the world today literally like what you said like يعني, the um, the times we live in the suffering in, 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 in the world humanity is suffering big time and um, and you see Marvel Studios coming up with heroes to save the world. Best, those are all like, like fake heroes with all due respect to Superman and Batman and Ant-Man. They're not real. The real heroes are you guys. And Islam is the tool. And love of Allah and the Prophet is the fuel. And the seerah is the direction, it's the mission, right? And the Prophet ﷺ has one hadith where he says, لَوْ كُنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ مَا أَعْلَمْ لَضَحَكْتُمْ قَلِيلًا وَلَبَكَيْتُمْ كَثِيرًا If you knew what I know, you would be laughing less and crying more, you know? Now, I don't want to make like the mood depressing and all of that and, you know, make you feel guilty and stuff. But this is what the seerah is, guys. The seerah was struggle, 23 years of struggle, to be honest, yani. And uh, it's a beautiful struggle. And it gives you meaning in life. It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a sense of direction and you have a cause. You have something that keeps you up at night. It, that's, that's what motivates you. A lot of people come to me complaining, oh, Fahad, you know, I'm losing motivation. I don't have any goals. I don't have a direction. Oh, God, this is the direction. Look at humanity. Look at what are some of the problems in the world today? Poverty. The divide between the rich and the poor is a big problem. Inflation. Bad, you know. Child labor. Child labor. Give me other problems. Racism, Racism human trafficking. Bad. So when you 
No, so we're going to study his life. But what I'm giving you is a perspective of why it's important to look beyond the 23 years. What the impact of those 23 years had on his entire life, on, on, on the world after him. Yes, we're studying Sirah, inshallah. Yeah. So, yeah, all of these problems are like holes in, a, like, think of us, all of us are in, like, a, a big ship. All of humanity is on a big ship, like Safinat Nuh, yani. And the ship has holes in it. We can't just sit there and, like, drink Coke and watch Netflix while the ship is sinking. You know, we, each one of us has got to pick a hole and say, you know what, Ya Allah, this hole is my baby. I'm going to dedicate my entire life to block this hole from contributing to the ship sinking. Whatever that hole is for you, every one of us has a different uh, skill set, different strengths. We're all assets in a different way, yes or no? They use that and sometimes Allah will use you without you even knowing. Allah will place you in a place. But he wants to see sincerity, right? So let's just show him sincerity. Shuna sincerity, Yani. Ikhlas. Shuna ma'anat al ikhlas. Yeah. It comes from khalasa, right? Lebanon khalasan. Allah says that, like, out of out of um, cattle, we get Lebanon khalasan. Pure. What the what's the percentage of purity of Lebanon khalasan? Hundred percent. Yeah. You wouldn't drink Lebanon with like a dot of blood in it or something, right? For this leban, I don't know if you're into dairy or you're lactose intolerant, but leban is a sign of ikhlas. When he's, next time you see milk or leban or even whatever, it's a sign of ikhlas. It's a reminder that my intention should be as pure as this leban. No corrupted intentions in my heart. It's for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My life is for Allah and the Prophet and, and for this jihad. Yes. And that 1% is called shirk in a way, in your heart though. Because you you've associated now partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is shirk? Associating partners with Allah, right? Shirk is like sajda to a sanam or for the Christians it's worshipping Jesus as the son of God, which is of course shirk, yes, but... There is a hidden shirk in our hearts with the Prophet ﷺ called Riyā. No, no? Yeah, Riyā is from uh, showing off. Yeah, from Al-Ma'oon, uh, Surah Al-Ma'oon. الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ Right? فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَعُونَ so yura'un, mura'a, riya'. What is riya'? It's doing something. Doing something for who? Other 
for people. Yeah, so exactly. So what's the shirk here? People pleasing, exactly. So the idol you worship is people pleasing in your heart, along with Allah. So you want to build a mosque for Allah, but also yeah, to get your cover in the newspaper or in the magazine and to get into that podcast. They do themselves. Self, yes. Ask Allah for sincerity. It's extremely important. And by the way, يعني, the Prophet ﷺ started from zero, literally. Because remember I told you, like before him, there was a big disconnect of Prophets. Like, Makan fi Rasul Wa'id, Nas Bani Israel. He had to literally start from zero and in the midst of Arabia. And we'll see the, what was going on in Arabia. So I don't want you to lose hope, guys. يعني, يعني, the, the objective of showing you this dark side of things is not to lose hope. Relax, it's to make you hopeful. And, uh, يعني, okay, there's a long way to go, but... It starts with the intention. It starts with taking those baby steps. And it shows you how like, the timing was just perfect because the world needed him. The Roman Empire, the Persian Empire, the Europe, the whole world was lost. Literally, it's called the Dark Ages. And so they needed light. And so the light arrived with his arrival on earth. Allah created His nur before all of creation, but then it manifested in this world in 571 AD from the moment that He came out of His mother Amina's womb. This is who Muhammad was. This is His significance. This is the impact He had on the world. This is how much the world needed Him. Literally, Rahmatan lil alamin. And it's incredible how Ibrahim made this dua many, many years before the Prophet was born, right? The Prophet Ibrahim says in the dua, Rabbana, he's making dua, Rabbana wab'ath fihim, fihim, who's fihim? The people, Arabs, literally, because he's from the Arabs also. Rabbana wab'ath fihim rasulan minhum, from amongst them. Yatlu alayhim ayatika, he recites Onto them your ayat. الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ And he teaches them the book and wisdom. وَيُزَكِّيمُ And he purifies them. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَزِيزُ الْحَكِيمُ Verily you are the one who gives honor and you are the one full of wisdom. So this was the dua that Ibrahim makes in Surah Al-Baqarah. Yes? Okay. Who is, who is this Rasul that he's referring to? Muhammad Wasallam. When did the Allah answer his dua? Yeah, many, many years after this dua occurred, you see? So again, this opens up another question or another important point is this idea of dua, right? Like how we today use dua in our lives. Nistayil, that's the word, yes. We, we make dua and we wait for a week and we get upset that Allah didn't answer the dua after a week. And we start doubting then the fact that maybe I'm doing something wrong, maybe the dua wasn't said in the right way, maybe I need to use a different dua, maybe I need to say it exactly as it is in Arabic for the dua to be mustajab. <laughs> exactly. So it's about the substance of the dog. I mean, 
Yes. Yes, that's another very good point. All du'as. You want a Ferrari? Ask for it. Inshallah. If it's good for you, you get it. Um, but yeah, something better. Something better. And if you don't get it in this world, you'll get something better in Akhirah. But the quality of the dua, yes. So look at what Ibrahim is asking for, guys. Yani, he's in the middle of the desert. I can imagine him like literally standing in the desert, Mofishay. And he's thinking about us. And he's thinking about like Generation. generations ahead. And he knows that like this prophet is going to come because like we told like uh, we all said all these prophet all the all the prophets were leading to the final prophet like just like the tree trunk right but what's amazing is that allah in surah al-jum'ah does something very very interesting so he he says huwa alladhi ba'atha fil ummiyina rasulan huwa yani allah okay he is the one who sent fil ummiyin Rasulan minhum, a prophet from among them. Yetlu alayhim ayatihi. He recites unto them his ayat, the ayat of Allah. Wayuzakim, and he purifies them. Wayuallimhum al kitaba wal hikmata. Wa in kanu min qablu lafi dalalim mubin. And before that, they were indeed in true misguidance. Do you notice something similar in, in the first, this ayah and this ayah? Do you notice the similarity? Pretty obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. You see the similarity? In Surah Al-Jum'ah, the answer comes. But there's a slight difference. Who can... Who can... Yes, the order changed. Exactly. Any tertib kan ilm al kitab wal hikma and tazkiyah. Okay, after reciting the ayat, ilm al kitab wal hikma and tazkiyah. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what He does is, and this is one of the beauties of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes corrects the du'as and perfects it. Mubinna du'a Ibrahim islam kan galat, bas kan, there was a more perfect order. And the most perfect order was this one here where the Prophet's ultimate curriculum like you start with like class one then semester two then semester three but this is the order what was his first kind of uh, approach to, to making a change which is what Reciting Quran, exactly. So his his way of teaching was reciting Quran. Okay, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave him the the Quran to recite onto people. Wayuzakihim came number two, and to purify them. Here it's talking about like spiritual purification. And then he taught them knowledge and wisdom. Now the question is, why did Teskiyah here come before knowledge and wisdom? Very good, because when you have knowledge without a pure heart, what can you do with that knowledge? You can use it to destroy, you can use it for um, 
corrupt reason, Sometimes knowledge without pure hearts creates separation and hatred and I know more than you. I'm right, you are wrong. That's ego. And that's exactly what happened with the Jews and the Christians. Their ulama in their books was clearly mentioned in the Prophet will come after Musa after Isa there will be a prophet named Ahmed he will come from Medina literally it's mentioned and the Jews were stationed in Medina waiting for him but then when he was from a different lineage from Banu Ismail they rejected it why? because their hearts were not pure Confi racism Confi ego and so the Prophet spent 10, 13 years in Mecca doing what? Quran, Tazkiyah, Quran, Tazkiyah, Quran, Tazkiyah. That's it. Tazkiyah meaning heart and iman and, and love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and akhlaq and values and truth and believing in the cause and sincerity. Getting your priorities right. Okay? Once the hearts were ready, then ilm al-kitab al-hikmah, easy. So Arabs, what was the scene back then with the Arabs? Of course, a lot of tribal clashes. There were two primary tribes in Medina. What were their names? Who knows? Al-Aws wal Khazraj. Exactly. We'll learn it later on, but just for now, you should know. Al-Aws wal Khazraj. Um, but... Most of the tribes would fight with one another. There was hatred, separation. And يعني, there was a lot of bandits on the roads. They used to um, literally cut, cut roots and steal your goods. They would steal your children and, and sell them. And in fact, one of the adopted sons of the Prophet ﷺ, Isma Zayd ibn al-Haratha, this is exactly what happened to him. He was stolen from his family and sold in the market as a slave. And the Prophet ﷺ took him and, and freed him. Okay. By the way, a side note here. As we study seerah, you're also going to start, besides knowing the life of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, you're also going to start learning about some names of the Sahaba. It's, it's also يعني, um, useful to start learning some of the Sahaba's names because it's like one family, right? Like, يعني, you want to know who was around them and how they interacted with him. It's kind of like a movie. It's, it's no fun when there's just one character, right? You need many, many characters and you need to understand how they interact with one another. So they used to say things like, وَمَنْ لَا يَظْلِمْ النَّاسِ يُظْلَمْ This was the mentality. And that either we do injustice to others or we will get eaten up. ف, يعني, there's no other option. Mafi. Exactly. Eat or get eaten. Yeah. Fa that was the, exactly the mentality. Mafi Rahma. It's a cruel world out there. Everyone is on to get each other. Yes, exactly. They are always there. Yeah. And so. Um, in terms of deen of the Arabs, of course, there was the Kaaba built by Ibrahim alayhi uh, There were 360 idols on the Kaaba. 
and each of the idols represented a specific tribe. Okay, if you, th- you want to think of it this in, in today's terms, think of those idols like flags of like nations. When do you put flags up for a nation? When they're visiting and you want to show them respect and honor, صح? Similarly, back then, Mecca was the center for all these Arab tribes to come and, and do their worship and uh, also do some business. It was the center for trade, it was the center for a lot of um, interaction and we'll talk about it. But in terms of idols, like it, it was ridiculous like how like sometimes one, 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 guy, one Sahabi would narrate that back in Jahiliya times he would have to travel and like his sanam was really big in the house. So he'd just pick up another stone from like a random stone and he would make this stone his sanam for the trip. In one narration, Umar, the second Khalifa of the, of, of the Muslims, he says that at one point he made a date in his house, a date, literally, he made a date his idol. بس في الليل يع وايد يعني and he was hesitating shall I eat it or not and he ended up eating the date the date يعني فيرويكم شلون it was really جهل يعني you know and and like when Omar narrates this story to the, to his people one of the Sahaba or the Tabi'een asked him يعني يا أمير المؤمنين like how could he do such a like a thing how could he worship a, يعني a piece of tamra يعني أو رطبة رطبة قال يعني بما معناه we have we had brains back then but we had no guidance كان عندنا العلم العقل ولكن ما كان عندنا الهداية so what are we learning here also there is a difference between guidance and knowledge what's the difference between guidance and knowledge yeah you haven't been guided to eat healthy yet <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> we all know that we need to speak the truth, but we're not guided to speak the truth. We all know we need to be compassionate, we're not guided to be compassionate. We all know we need to be patient, but we're not guided to be patient. But that's why in, in Surah Al-Fatiha, we don't say, Ya Allah, give me knowledge. What do we ask for? Hidayah, we ask for guidance. That is ultimately what matters. On Yom Al Qiyamah, Allah won't ask you how much knowledge you have at all. Your actions will be speaking for you, and actions are purely based on hidayah. So, women in the Arab world also had no financial rights. They had this thing called wa'd al banat, which is literally like burying young daughters, because they were a source of shame for the Arabs. In one, in, in, one, in one instance, one Sahabi buried seven of his daughters. And in another instance, like this one Sahabi, and imagine these Sahaba, they were narrating these stories after Islam. Like they were in Jahala, but they, they would narrate these stories. And they would, like one Sahabi would say that he was, uh, his six-year-old daughter, um, he had a plan set up like he he told the wife to dress her up and he was going to take her to a party and then he didn't take her to a party he went and dug a hole and as he's digging the hole his beard caught some dust and and the daughter of course didn't know what's happening so she removes the dust of the of the 
uh, from the father's beard and the father just pushes th the daughter in, in the grave. Hatta when they're older, yeah. yeah. We have multiple different varieties of it, yeah. And uh, by the way, this still exists till today, unfortunately, in some parts of the world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, alive. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's called abortion. There's a fancy term for it, but <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. No, I mean, you have honor killings and other stuff that are other variations of this, but uh, abortion is a very common way of doing this today. And in some communities, like. When it's a, still till today, especially in the subcontinent, India, Pakistan region, when it's a son, they become super happy, and when it's a girl, they're like, "Oh, ma'alish, inshallah, next time." Yeah. That's why they can't know the gender. Hey, it's illegal. It's illegal, exactly. Yeah. Any bad, lehi? Said? But still there, in a subtle way, it's still there. This jahili idea. Yeah. يعني حتى الله الله documents this in سورة النحل يتوارى من القوم من سوء ما بشر به he he like is avoiding the people from the bad news that he's gotten what's the bad news and that it's it's a girl يمسكه على هون أم يدسه في التراب like he's debating should I hold on to this daughter with humiliation or should I push her literally into the, into the sand ألا ساء ما يحكمون what a what a terrible uh, decision to make. But again, different situations. The only logic is in Ahma, their idea was girls are a burden, they, they're a humiliation to the family. Social cultural thing, yeah. Nothing to do with religion. Hmm. Like we mentioned in some countries, why, why is a girl seen as a burden? Like in the Indo-Pak region, I would know, I come from there. Uh, the girl's family pays for the marriage. No. No, no, how much the the girl's family has to pay? Yeah, yeah, I got to talk about Pakistan. Oh, and the mahar. Not just the mahar, the marriage, to the extent where now the trend is basically not just mahar. the girl's family has to buy the guy a car and a house and land and marshino and job. يعني مأساة مأساة. ف ف there's a whole like series made on this called fraud it's like if you're interested in watching Pakistani dramas like they have subtitles but literally like the name of the series is fraud literally that's what he does 
ينكحها يتزوجها وياخذ الفلوس and he goes to the next one next one next one it's a business يعني true oh, it's a tr- and by the way it's a true story true story yeah. I think like naturally the man likes to like spend and feel like he's the one yeah. praying the girl. Hey, hey, hey. So how does it work? Hey, I'll let you. It doesn't make sense. There's no sense to it at all. You need mothers. You need you want a wife. You know, obviously, if they started burying all the girls, there won't be any women. You know, that's bad news. <laughs> but it doesn't make sense at all. It's just customs and traditions. Who, يعني, uh, male, a male-dominated kind of society where, يعني, للأسف, they did stupid things. You know, that's why they need, they needed Muhammad Sallallahu to come and fix all this mess. And imagine the mother's feelings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because for them, the, the shame of having uh, a daughter that gets penetrated is greater than the any the guilt of killing her. But the shame is imagine because there's no shame in, in marriage. Yeah. That was back then. Ma kan fi qawanin mal marriage udila. صح إيه حتى باكستان you have it يعني honor killings تقريبا نفس الفكرة it's a different variation of the same mentality right and you have movies about this stuff and شنو أستغفر الله شنو what لا طبعا لا so a little bit about so you notice we went from like the world yeah sure Get them married with the. Yeah, I'm, I'm very sensitive. I have, I have three daughters, but I have to be sensitive to this topic again. <laughs> Excuse me. If they catch you know, the banat? Both. 
No, no, no. It's for both حتى اللاشز يعني فيها شروط و you know بس لازم ووتنسز يعني لازم فور ووتنسز and if you come up with يعني just less less than four then you get lashed eighty times for spreading rumors absolutely yeah the objective is ستر يعني ستر Just go, exactly, yeah. But there's just so much evil. Hey. Kid, kid. That's the that's culture more. Culture is always with the with the guy, you know, the woman, at ten times in mistakes that she does is ten times as bad as the guy. But in our religion, not it's equal. In fact, the, the mother is more honored than the father. And in ummuka, thumma ummuka, thumma ummuka, thumma abuk. Literally, يعني, the mother is. And uh, the Prophet also gave the glad tidings for the one who has three daughters. And يربيهم, يعلمهم, لهم الجنة, يعني. And then, like, when the Sahaba were sitting, and one of the Sahaba had only two daughters. But he's like, what, what about two daughters? <laughs> I only have two. Does the same apply to two daughters? The Prophet said, yes. What about me? I only have one daughter. He said, even you. Look at the contrast of trying to shift the mindset. You know? Um, Islam came to give women all their rights. Inheritance, tamalluk. Look at Khadija. I mean, like we learn about her, but she was a businesswoman, you know? She was hiring men to work for her. Um, you had uh, a limit to the number of wives you can get married to. This was actually a limit that was put on. It wasn't an expansion. limit. <laughs> a limit was put, you know, um, with a lot of conditions, of course. But what we're doing is we're looking at the world before Muhammad Sallallahu We looked at the Roman Persian Empire and the Europeans then we looked at um, the Jazeera al-Arabiya now we're looking we're zooming into Mecca okay so it was the trade center of the world why because goods would have to be delivered literally like they were trade routes China look at the world map China 
how would it get its goods to Europe or other countries? It had to pass through the Jazeera al-Arabiya. So they would start from Yemen. And then who would take over? Who would deliver from Yemen all the way to Persia? The Quraysh, exactly. So they were the middlemen who were uh, delivering the goods, these trade routes from uh, east to west. Literally, they were like يعني, in the middle. But they were very strategically located, which means there's a lot of money to be made also. Now, what did I tell you earlier? There's these bandits who would uh, steal. So in order to secure their trade routes, what did the Quraysh have to do? Alliances and treaties with all the tribes to ensure that whenever it was a Quraysh tribe, stay away. Don't mess with Quraysh caravans, basically. To ensure that the trade routes were very smooth. In, in uh, Surah Quraysh, you know the Surah, right? إِلَافِهِمْ رَحْلَةَ الشِّتَاءِ وَالصَّيْفِ So, الشِّتَاءِ كَانُوا رُحُونَ I believe to Yemen and Saif it was to Sham. It was something like that. What does لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشِ mean? لَام لَام السَّبَبِيَّ هَذِي We've all memorized this surah, right? لِإِلَافِ قُرَيْشِ مِنْ أُلْفَةِ الْقَلْبِ Okay. I've blessed you with which was the source of your revenue back then You've, your business is, is booming and you're strategically located I've given it to you to soften your heart and so what's the logical next step? Once your heart softens to this blessing, then worship the, the Lord of this house that's right in front of you. The one who fed you out of hunger and provided you safety. Reciting these words, these literally these words to Quraysh. يعني Allah is يعني calling them out, right? But what kind of heart would you have to have to reject this message? Just think of it that way. يعني. But they were the connection point between the Romans and the Persians. And, and on top of that, في مكة كانوا قريش They were wealthy, صح? Trade routes. They were also custodians of the Kaaba. Okay? Shino custodians bil Arabi? Khadim al Haram, basically. Custodians of the Kaaba, and they care, take care of the cleanliness, they take care of feeding the, the, the visitors, especially during Hajj season. Hajj season. And, and who would come there for Hajj? Literally everyone. It was like an annual conference. Think of it like an annual fair to, make, to strike deals, to do business, to make alliances and treaties. And so, يعني, Quraysh had money, they had business partners. 
they had a lot of influence they had religious authority and they also controlled think of it as media where it was kind of like a shura council where you know they would get together and decide on things and agree on matters were things going well for Quraysh? Extremely, صح? Everything was set, stability, peace, and wealth and, and uh, prosperity and peace. Until today, political scientists say that these are the two main factors of the success of any uh, civilization. Prosperity and peace. If you have a prosperous nation that doesn't have peace, and if you have a peaceful nation that doesn't have prosperity, bad, doesn't work, right? You need both factors to really, really do well as a as a, as an economy. So they they everything was going well for them, but then all of a sudden, this guy Muhammad وسلم, comes up with a with a new kind of um, lifestyle. That's going to challenge a lot of the stuff that they're doing. Notice Surah Al-Ankabut. أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا جَعَلْنَا حَرَمًا آمِنًا وَيَتُخَطَّفُ النَّاسُ مِنْ حَوْلِهِمْ So basically around them there was a lot of bandits and bogs. But Al-Haram literally like it's a gift from Allah for them. This is going to be a place of, of peace. No war here. And they had certain months that were haram also. Ashur al-Hurum, they called them. Where no war is allowed and no hunting and all sorts of things. Sometimes for shrimps, they, they have a shrimp ban. Lish. Ashat kathirun, exactly. Literally in our, in our deen, in the Quran, that is exactly the concept of Ashur al-Hurum. There are months of a break from like hunting and from cutting trees and all sorts of stuff. Why? So that the environment can revive itself in the ecosystem of, of the world. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's part of the Quran. Yani. That's the significance of Al-Ashr Al-Hurum. Um, and then Allah also refers to Mecca as Umm Al-Qura. لتنذر أم القرى ومن حولها. Literally, the mother of all cities. That's how significant Mecca was back then. And this Prophet was going to be born into this very city, amongst these people, from the same family, literally from the family of Quraysh. And he will be given a mission to purify the, the corruption that was happening. Of course there's going to be resistance. Why? The conditions were very stable for Quraysh. Uh, usually change is unwelcome when things are going well. And by the way, the 360 idols, we discussed this last time also, but just to refresh. Was it really a religious thing? It was just purely for like money reasons, right? Like they wanted to keep the other tribes happy. They wanted to honor them. They wanted to make sure that their trade routes were secure. They don't care what you do. يعني, uh, for them, 
religion was just the outside kind of show but deep down inside it was keeping the tribes happy making sure that the treaties are in place so that the business is running as usual um, no competition the money's coming in we maintain authority and so what like shaitan yani what he did was like those idols were basically externally you could see them as idols on the on the kaaba but internally they were there was a, there were hidden idols which is al-masalih al-shakhsiyah and this is what we'll end with today inshallah so the prophet sallallahu his mission was a mission or or his message the message of the quran was a message of what of justice of equality of uh, giving people their due rights Of, of distribution of wealth and, and purity of the heart and tawheed which meant destroying all those idols literally making all those tribes upset and for them that they were in a comfort zone they, they didn't want to talk about religion Allah please yani, don't bother us with this stuff Business is going well. Life is good. That's malilna. Don't, yani, don't disrupt, please. But they would also lose money if they believed basically Allah, or they had to let go of these idols. Of course, th- that is at the heart of it. Al maslah al shakhsiya. Money, power, authority. What do you call all of this? Love of what? That's the root. This message that the Prophet is preaching is love akhirah more than dunya. Remove dunya from your heart, put akhirah in your heart and be a good person and stop manipulating, stop cheating, stop uh, creating a divide between the rich and the poor, stop treating women like they're commodities. And bring back human values. But for them there was a clash. And they chose al-maslaha al-shakhsiya over the truth. Now this is where like yani, we can connect this and end it inshallah. Where yani, kilina, we ask ourselves this, this question. Because we want to connect things with our life also. صح? Sometimes the deen clashes with masalihna al-shakhsiya. Like, I, I have friends who are in, I don't want to mention the industry, but certain industries in, in this part of the world, you cannot get the business deal if, unless you bribe the person. Like, it's impossible. They run out of business. Have you heard of such, such, any certain businesses like this? Where, you get the deal. You have to bribe. For now, for now that's a classical example of a decision you have to make as a, as a human being then you need the deal to pay the bills but Allah is asking for values over the deal what would you put f- first your values or al-maslaha al-shakhsiyya 
exactly. Sister Masha Chibi, exactly. That's uh, that's that's what the Quraysh would say. Sister Masha Chibi. Wa'adil banat, wa'adil banat. You know. So, yani, try to put yourself in that in that shoe. If you were from the family of Quraysh, you were the daughter of Abu Sufyan. Things are going well. You're getting the Gucci bag. You're traveling the world, first class, beachfront property, and then all of a sudden, this man comes with a message of values. He has not not much worldly. Uh, and the deal of the Prophet wasn't worldly at all, Tara. And Hatta Quraysh tried to buy him out. They told him, listen, you want uh, authority? You want, like, we'll give you the throne. You'll become the king of the city and khalas. You want money? We'll give you money. You want women? We'll give you women. But they tried to, to buy him out. But And his response was, no, if you, if you give me the sun in one hand and the moon in the other hand to leave this deen, I will not leave it. But, Try to connect this to your life today, this, this dilemma here, this challenging decision of values versus al-maslaha. What are other examples where the, the, the two clash? I give you an example of bribery. Where, where else would it clash? Hmm? Banking, riba, yeah. So you, yani, sensitive topic. That's <laughs> uh, usury and, and riba is uh, a severe crime yani. and uh, yeah so working working let's not talk about banking let's just working working for a haram uh, industry yeah where your income is haram best there are no jobs in the market and uh, a lot of layoffs and inflation why do you quit the job or do you hang on Bad, that's an example. So we looked at work, we looked at business deals. A doctor. Yeah. Surgeries, pushing medication to reach your target. Did you know that doctors have uh, targets to sell, like, uh, to, to promote medicine? Like, they literally have targets. Yeah. yeah. That's a business. Yeah. One of the most fastest growing businesses is uh, healthcare. And, um, and if, if like you're in the food industry, right? And, and you need to um, sell more and more processed food to make people sick so that you and your buddies from the healthcare industry can make a lot of money, then we have masalih, right? So if you got a job at Coca-Cola, would you work there? <laughs> no, because it's setting poison. Uh, again, yani. It's debatable, you know. That's <laughs> what are other examples? Examples. Pharmaceutical. Pharmaceutical, kind of like healthcare, a bad. You know, what are other corrupted industries? Fast food. Fast food. Yeah, food in general, healthcare, bad. You know, banking, business, entertainment. You're a film. You're a film director. You're studying film. 
What kind of movies are you going to be making? What kind of messages are you going to be uh, promoting? Uh, is it going to be... You're an artist. You're a singer. You're... I don't know. Whatever your profession is. Because there is a way to be corrupted, right? You have a lot of money. Are you paying your zakat? Do you know there's so many Muslim, like wealthy people who don't pay their zakat? Like they don't believe in that top. Yani one of the. If you're a student cheating in an exam. The Prophet says, you know. General. Huh? Inshallah, But I think, يعني, for for Quraysh at that level, they were involved in like big crimes. Big, big crimes. So, you know, like, but when it comes to big, big decisions that affect entire populations, um, those are like heavier, heavier questions to be asked. That's why, يعني, uh, people of uh, high authority, uh, the, ذو منصب عالي شي سمونا مسؤول مسؤول صح؟ and and uh, who wants to be a مسؤول here we all like to yeah for actually مسؤول is it is it a positive word or a negative word exactly تكلفة you'll be, then you'll be responsible you'll be asked يعني that the higher up you you are in the ranks the more the more responsibility you have. For Abu Jahl, in one situation, he actually faced the Prophet Abu Jahl, the uncle of the Prophet He confronted the Prophet whatever you're saying, you, I don't believe in you, you're a liar. Everything he's saying is the truth. But we cannot accept it, and then we'll lose everything. But it shows you, deep down inside, they knew he was saying the truth. But for them, they decided to put dunya over akhirah. They decided to put justice and values and the truth aside, and put dunya before everything else. This is still happening today, yeah, all the time. Yeah. Any other examples you can think of from like our personal lives where we can learn from each other? On how sometimes we put the truth aside with dunya, for the dunya. Yasmia, can you give us an example from like life? Yeah. Not from your life, like in general. Mm. 
not disclosed actually. Yes. We are paying for very high salaries for people that are working at NGOs. Mm-hmm. And actually you're getting a lot of donations. Yes. Yeah, and in one report I read that like NGOs in the West, like only 30% of the funds they get go to the actual charity. The 70% are all operational expenses for salaries. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Education, Shlon. Why the prices are ticking crazy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell me about it. 10% increment coming up soon, or hike, it's not an increment. But. Inflation in general is, is a taxation. If, if, you, if you guys are interested about financial crimes, uh, a book that I recommend you to read is called um, um, The Creature from Jekyll Island. The Creature from Jekyll Island. Talks about how the Fed was created and how like a group of ultra-wealthy families and bankers came together and they you know, created this whole money system to literally control the world and control media and education and politics and religion even and yani, yani, there's a lot of uh, crime happening at a very high level but that's that's what the Quran is addressing yani, you know but yani, a lot of people come tell me in the Quran is yani, very harsh jahannam it's not talking to those ayat are not talking to me and you يعني. we all have those you know but those ayat are addressing the ultra criminals the pharaohs of our times you know who uh, similar to Quraysh had decision making power they had influence they had authority and يعني, those are those are going to be questioned big time يعني. Inshallah, let's uh, end with uh, salawat, dhikr, like last time. So I want you to close your eyes, just a few seconds, inshallah. Take a few deep breaths in and out.